What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another edition of Bucking the Trend Podcast. I'm Andrew Goodman, co-hosting as always with Dylan Piccolo. Dylan, wish we were reporting with uh, some better news on this Monday, but the Bucks, as we know, game one suffered a 112-90 loss to the Boston Celtics. Now, Dylan, I need to ask you, is this an overreaction, or do you think this is something that needed to happen for the Bucks to open their eyes to see how they're going to be able to compete with Boston with the adjustments that they need to make? Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, they need to make adjustments, uh, starting with playing Giannis at the five. Um, I know that it's not going to be possible for the entire game uh, or even for the majority of the game, but it just needs to happen more. Um, Al Horford had, you know, uh, a field day out there and kind of made Giannis look ridiculous um, in the positions that he was in. And, you know, obviously took Brooke Lopez, uh, you know, wasn't, it wasn't great in him as well. Um, so, Definitely adjustments need to be made for Milwaukee. Yeah, and just looking over some of the clips from the game, I saw a lot of, you know, lackadaisical play, a lot of guys just running back on fast breaks, not really trying to capitalize on numbers. Boston is really stifling Milwaukee's offense in the half court. So, you know, I'm sure the Bucks had a really good day of practice today, and, you know, they're going to need to show a much, much improved effort on Tuesday night if they want any chance of reclaiming, you know, home court advantage or whatever, you know, evening out the series. But, you know, on Sunday, it looked like a Jason Kidd coach team, I got to say. Yeah, I mean, Mike Budenholzer definitely uh, got out coached that game. Um, and I think also you need to – I think everyone needs to take into consideration that the Bucks, you know, I have the 60 wins best team in the NBA, uh, you know, number one defense, number three offense in the regular season. So the formula works. So it's hard for a coach to say, okay, well, we've been so successful this season playing this style of basketball. Um, you know, how quick am I willing to change? And the ringer did a nice uh, piece at, you know, kind of saying, should Mike Budenholzer take a look at Steve Kerr and um, you know how he kind of implements a small ball lineup kind of whenever he really needs to and doesn't really wait um, to kind of rest on what got them there during the regular season. So if maybe he, in, you know, like I said, having Giannis run the five and moving, you know, even Chris Middleton to the four, if we have to, um, they need to get a little bit more athletic in the four through five spot just to kind of combat Horford in the pick and roll. A big thing for me, a big takeaway from Sunday was this rotation. You know, you got to shorten up. I'm sorry, Pat Connaughton, he was great against Detroit. But with all due respect, you're playing the Pistons. Pat Connaughton, game one, 24 minutes, 2 of 10 from the floor, 1 of 7 from deep. Five points, he was minus 21. And defensively, he, he looked awful. Gordon Hayward blew by him a handful of times. Keep going down the list. I thought George Hill was all right in 24 minutes. He had four of eight shots. Nikola Mirotic was huge, especially in that second quarter when Milwaukee was down 15 and then came back – reclaim the lead a few minutes before halftime. So do you think Coach Bud is going to keep the keep the lineup in the bench extended, or do you think he's going to shore it up a little bit? I think he's got to make some serious changes um, in just in one position. I think Pat uh, – I just think Pat, you know, he's not big enough to guard Gordon Hayward. And Gordon Hayward was bodying him up. And, you know, Pat, when he's not hitting his shot, one of seven from three uh, – and he's not playing good defensively is a minus 21. Um, you know, you just, you can't have that in a big playoff game uh, in a statement playoff game. So I think Pat Connaughton sees his minutes go down. I, I think he's going to play obviously um, still, but I could see Tony Snell getting some more minutes um, just because you, you want, 
another athletic guy. You want another person to, you know, kind of switch it up. And I think Tony Snell is easier to do that with defensively, and he's able to hit open shots, hopefully. So that's what I think, you know, in terms of the rotation. No, I agree with that. Tony Snell, you know, he's been kind of mired by injuries at the end of the season, but still, you know, like you said, he's a bigger defender than Connaughton, more length. He's, you know, Tony Snell is bread and butter is on the defensive end. The floor also has that nice teammate chemistry with Giannis, as we know, with the quote unquote Tony Snell play. But another disappointing factor in Sunday's game one loss was the play of Eric Bledsoe. You know, I keyed him as the guy who's going to come out, you know, with the chip on his shoulder from last year's playoff embarrassment against Terry Rozier and the Celtics. But, you know, he fell flat again in game one, 25 minutes, one of five from the floor. Four of those five shots were from deep where he was 0 of 4, six points minus 12. And, you know, he just – I don't want to say he was playing lazy out there, but, I mean, just looked like he was – He shut down. too slow. Yeah. He, he shut down once he missed his first couple of shots. And, uh, I mean, you didn't necessarily see it in his body language, but you did see it in his play like you were mentioning about kind of energy. Like, I felt like it was kind of like, you know, when they got down 15 for the second time after coming back, it was more of a – you know, here we go again type of thing. Um, and that's where you really saw the Celtics just dictate the entire pace of play of the game, dictate exactly what the Bucks did offensively. Because when the Bucks are doing well offensively, Eric Bledsoe's driving to the rim, Chris Middleton's hitting his shots and all over the court. And, you know, Chris Middleton, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't know exactly, but he seemed to have a lot of ISO opportunities in that game. And that's not necessarily what you're doing, but, Chris was the only one hitting for a while, so he was trying to get you, trying to bail you out and bailed water for as long as he could before the wheels kind of fell off of them. This thing, it just looked like the Bucks were really, you know, they they saw what Boston was throwing at them, but they had no idea how they were going to counter it. Like you said, a lot of Chris Middleton ISO in the opening frame. Granted, he was hitting his shots, but you know, once you go down the list, Eric Bledsoe, you know, really can't create on his own. And then once you start being stagnant, standing around makes things easier for Boston as we were able to see Al Horford just really dominate Giannis Antetokounmpo, which, you know, we have not seen all season. So. Yeah. I mean, and there was, and you're right. And you look at the scoreboard and it's indicative of two things that cannot happen. If the Milwaukee Bucks are going to win this series, the Celtics cannot really have 110 points in my opinion. If they Celtics, you know, you're going to win your games in the 105s, I think. I mean, there may be an outlier there where you're going to have, everyone's going to be guns a blazing and just hitting shots. But, you know, you can't score 90 points either. So no, you're right. You're right. And I think a big part of why Boston was so successful is they their play style and how they play offensively really is feeds right into how the Bucks play defensively. You know, the Bucks are more concerned about guarding the paint and you know, three-point line extended, whereas Boston, they thrive offensively off the mid-range and above the break threes, which we saw a ton of open above the break threes for Boston and also the mid-range. And, you know, obviously you say the mid-range might be one of the most, excuse me, least efficient shot in basketball. But, I mean, when you're playing a team like the Celtics, a team that thrives off the pick and pop and hits mid-range shots, we saw Kyrie hit a ton of tough mid-range shots yesterday. So I think that's something the Bucks are going to have to take into consideration when game two rolls around tomorrow and how they're going to adjust things defensively. Yeah, the pick and roll has got to be the first thing. And I think it 
it if it isn't a schematic thing, I think it's just the guys just need to just hedge those a little bit harder and get around them a little bit more. Be decisive with what they're doing because you know that with the with Kyrie Irving's ability and just overall feel for the game, if there's a split section second of indecision he's going to take advantage of it. And more times than not, he's going to really take advantage of it. And it's going to lead to a pass to a three or a fantastic basket. Um, so kind of being, you know, decisive in that is big um, in my opinion, because making sure that you have all your bases and with, when you do have Brooke Lopez in the game, it's how it, you know, is he able to make those when we're kind of have two guys caught up on one person, is he able to come and get that swing guy? So he doesn't have either a wide open three or an easy pass to to the next, um, you know, the next guy in the corner then. So it's a lot of technical stuff, but I think it's really just kind of knowing exactly what they're going to do. Um, is kind of more the big thing, you know, the big theme there. Yeah, as we've seen in Coach Budenholzer's previous stints in the Atlanta Hawks, you know, he'll throw some adjustments, some wrinkles after games, but for the most part, he's going to stick to his bread and butter and, you know, put out what he knows works best. But, you know, in a playoff series, this is when adjustments are made. Adjustments are made on the fly. I'm looking at the starters for the Celtics. Each starter played in 30 minutes. Granted, it was a blowout that game, but you go down the list for the Boxianis, 34, Middleton, 34 minutes, Brooke Lopez, 26, Eric Bledsoe, 25, Sterling Brown, 22. But then you come back to Pat Connaughton. He played 24 minutes, which I think was 24 minutes, maybe a little too long. But Yeah, it, in the guard, you're really right now, you're, you're wishing Malcolm Brogdon was there because – he really those shooting guard minutes are going to be crucial. Um, so it will be interesting to see what Malcolm. I know they said he's out for games one and two, so you know I expect him to be reevaluated. And if he's you know at least eighty percent, I I can imagine them sending him out there just because they need him. And that's why you know I mentioned maybe potentially playing Tony Snell. I mean, Tony Snell got in in garbage time with three minutes, and yeah, he's coming back from an injury. Um, you know, which he really first came back against Detroit um, for a little bit. So he's not totally there, but having these days off, he, you know, obviously I think he's obviously gotten run in and he's feeling good enough to be suited up. So I think you got to play him. And, you know, I have another question for you in terms of DJ Wilson. I, you know, I hear a lot of people clamoring for DJ Wilson to take some of those four or five minutes, um, you know, a, a guy that can switch, pretty easily and can, you know, make some pretty athletic plays if you need him to, um, you know, D, like we've talked about before, Budenholzer was kind of reluctant to play DJ uh, in against Detroit and reluctant to play him sort of at the, against the end of the year once they got Miritich. But do you think DJ Wilson's a guy that we could see in game two and maybe therefore onto the series? I think it's time to free DJ. But I mean, when we talk about free DJ, I'm talking maybe 10 to 12 minutes. But my thing is here is Ersan Ilyasova in game one, 20 minutes, three of nine from the field, nine points, 0 of five from deep. And, you know, he obviously did not play well. I agree with you that DJ Wilson should have gotten those minutes in his positional versatility, especially on the defensive end is huge for this team. He can knock down that corner three, he can knock down jump shots. I wouldn't be surprised maybe around 10, 12 minute mark DJ in game two. What, do you think that's fair? Do you think he's still going to be riding the bench? 
I mean, I think he should get at least some minutes because what you did in game one did not work. And, you know, if you get into game two and because, you know, I, I we should put this disclaimer out there because Boston had shot the ball absolutely fantastic. 41% from three, you know, 54% total from the field. Um, they shot the lights out. Is that going to happen every single game? Not, I don't really, I don't think so because I think they're very, they're, you know, they're a talented team, but I think, you know, playoffs have a little pressure on everyone and I don't think they're going to have a great shooting on every night. I don't think they're going to have a terrible shooting on every night, but they're not going to be shooting like that every night. And the Bucks aren't going to be shooting 34% from, you know, the field and 33% from deep. I mean, Giannis rarely ever gets around you know, the same amount of points and field goal attempts in a game. And he was 22 points and 21 field goal attempts. So it's just kind of indicative of this is, you know, if you're a Bucks fan and you're hoping, all right, I hope this is an outlier. You know, you hope that this is a once one time thing. It's only one game, but you have to prepare like it's not <laughs> kind of. Well, here, so this might be unrelated, but for me, I'm all on the hashtag ban early tip-offs. I cannot stand early tip-off games. This game tipped off 10 a.m. Arizona time. And I just feel like in previous years, whenever the Bucks played playoff games during the day, they just always lay an egg. Yeah, I mean, that... Because uh... your, preparation, your preparation is a lot different from, you know, obviously a night game. You know, I know Giannis... He likes to have that pregame nap. Don't know if he did have that pregame nap on on Sunday morning, but I'm really not a fan of these early start times. You'd have to wake up pretty early to get a nap in for a noon game, a noon local time game. (laughs) So, I mean, like you said, Boston did shoot the lights out, but, I mean, it's it's playoff basketball. Yeah, hopefully it's an outlier. I mean, I hope so because if Boston's shooting like this, the rest of the series is this could be a quick series. But I mean, I I don't think they will shoot the lights out. But Milwaukee's definitely gonna have to tweak some things defensively because Boston they shot only five of eight from the free throw line, and the Bucks went there twenty four times. They only made fifteen, which is another point I want to talk about is the poor free throw shooting from Giannis five of ten in game one. Yeah, it happens from time to time, and I think. You know, the Celtics just really threw him off his game from just from the get-go, and it was tough. Um, it was tough for Giannis to kind of get any rhythm. I mean, you look at that one possession where Al Horford blocked him twice, and it was like, man, like, is this really happening? But, you know, it happens. Al Horford's a all-star. You know, he's an all-star. He's been an all-star before. He's a seasoned veteran, and he kind of gets it at this point. And the Celtics have been kind of, you know, wavering on using him a lot during the regular season so he can be fresh and ready to go for this. Um, So, you know, he's playing some good basketball, obviously, but the Celtics have to be feeling good. I mean, you come into Milwaukee and you put up a performance like that, you have to be feeling good if you're, uh, you know, a Celtics fan and you're on a Celtics perspective. Kyrie Irving, 12 of 21, 26 points, uh, doing whatever, you know, doing what he does and you know, 11 assists for him. So if you see those 11 assists, you're saying, man, well, I mean, Horford's probably having a good game. Jalen's probably having a good game because, you know, those are the guys that don't, they can't get their own bucket. And you look at Jason Tatum, he has two of seven and he's four points. So I think that's kind of a number you'll also want to take a look at is how many assists does Kyrie have? Cause I think that's more indicative of 
who's kind of playing well for the Celtics. And I truthfully think that, you know, if guys like Horford and Jalen Brown and Morris are having good, better games, that they're a better team than when Jason Tatum is kind of, you know, playing your turn, my turn with Kyrie Irving. And, you know, we talked about this a few podcasts ago when we were previewing this Boston Celtics series is, you know, we know Kyrie Irving is going to do what he does best. He's going to hit some crazy mid-range fadeaway shots. He's going to hit some threes, going to have those flashy plays. But you've got to shut down the supporting cast. He did a good job. Jason Tatum didn't really look as engaged, but still somehow ended up plus 16. But, you know, like you said, Jalen Brown, 8 of 14 from the floor, 3 of 7 from deep. He was hitting a few step-back tough three-pointers, 19 points. Gordon Hayward had 13. Terry Rozier had 11. So once you start getting numbers like that, especially with how poor Milwaukee's bench played, it's it's not not a good it's not a good omen. No, it, it's not. And you you know, obviously this is a, a Bucks podcast and you know, we enjoy when the team does well, obviously, but man, the Celtics came in there and they just threw a, a big hook and they connected on it. So that was a big statement game coming in there and doing that and Truthfully, it kind of fit into what a lot of the a lot of national people were saying. You know, this you know you got to trust what Kyrie Irving has done in the playoffs and Al Horford has done in the playoffs, and that experience really showed in Game One because they were like, "Sorry guys, we're gonna go a hundred percent. This is we're leaving everything out there." And I'm not saying the Bucks don't have you know they have some playoff experience, but not like that. So they came out there kind of laid a goose egg, and it's like, all right, well. You got us there, but now we know, all right, we got to bring it if we're going to, you know, if we're going to beat you guys. You know, I'm going to tell you something, and you may be surprised by this, but you're probably not going to be. Al Horford has been in the playoffs every season since he's been in the NBA. Big Al. Isn't that insane? I mean, he's been killing the Bucks since the 2009-2010 Fears of the Year run. I just kind of keep having flashbacks in my head of him just popping out for a 15-foot jump shot. Yeah, I mean, you think Budenholzer would tell him would know what's going on at least, right? I mean, he he coached him for quite a while, a couple of years I mean, at least. Brad Stevens did just totally outclassed Mike Budenholzer in the Bucks, and game one. You know, you got to give credit where credit is due. You know, like you said, we're a Milwaukee Bucks podcast, but when your opponent plays well, you just sometimes just got to tip your hat. Do you think that Budenholzer is going to change if he needs to? Um. Well. Desperate times do come. Call for desperate measures. So if the Milwaukee Bucks join us dropping game. game two, yeah. See, if you don't make any adjustments for game two and you end up with the same result, then I'm gonna start hoping there there will be changes. If not, then could be a sweep because if you're I, not gonna change anything. Yeah. No, I put out a poll and I asked. I said, "What do you blame the loss on? Execution or scheme?" and 72% of people said it was execution. So, you know, I agree that a lot of it was execution. I mean, the stat, you know, there's proof in the pudding with the stats when you look at the 54% and, you know, 41% shooting from the Celtics and the polar opposite for the Bucks. Um, but I think, you know, if they do lose game two, that's a question that you're going to have to ask is what they're doing, you know, right. Because if, you know, if, if all goes well this game, what Giannis is having a good time, easier time getting to the rim. He's finishing at the rim. I mean, did Giannis, in your opinion, did he miss some shots that he usually makes? Yeah, I mean, he definitely or did what, miss a few think, of those floaters. You, yeah, go ahead. But I think 
you know, just how Boston was playing. And they were so physical with him that it kind of took him out of his rhythm. Like, we know Giannis is a rhythm scorer. Also, you know, Giannis did go to the line 10 times, but I thought there were a handful of possessions where he should have gone to the free throw line even more. But, you know, sure. it is the postseason, and the refs are going to swallow their whistle, which I understand. But, you know, I just got to give credit where credit is due and how Boston played defense really, really minimized Giannis. You know, we haven't seen that this season. It was the worst loss for the Bucks this season in game one, especially at home. So, I mean, at least they got their worst performance of the series slash season out of the way now. Now, you mm-hmm. you know, go back to drawing board game two. You know what you have to um, – you know, you have to adjust, sure, make some kinks, make sure it doesn't happen in game two. And, you know, I'm the Bucks and, you know, Budenholzer and some of the guys, they're not going to tell the media what they have planned. So I think this is going to be, uh, you know, Budenholzer will keep his cards close to the chest until, you know, game two rolls around. They're out there playing. I think this is going to be a really big game for Giannis. I think it's a real big um kind of status game for him because you know you look at there's been times where you know teams have thrown gimmicks at you know great players and right you know and, and the great ones they get past it I mean look at Kevin Durant you know with Patrick Beverly I mean the next game after he has that performance he has huge numbers you know what I'm saying and is Giannis prepared to do that he you know, they said, uh, you know, reports came out today that they were watching a lot of film on the game. So, you know, really studying what the Celtics are trying to do to to kind of, you know, stop Giannis from kind of spinning the, you know, the, the, you know, the wheel. That's the Bucks' offense. So is Giannis going to take that information and take over? I mean, it's a little different because, you know, he's not shooting over guys like Kevin Durant can. So there is a little added, you know, effort in terms of getting to the basket and getting to those shots where he's comfortable. But, you know, I was actually pretty excited. He had three of five from three, and a couple of them were pretty impressive. Yeah, he had a few coming out at halftime. But also, it's not – I guess not – it is related to the game. Were you at, were you at um, Pfizer Forum for game one? I was not. I was at a bowling fundraiser for my little brother who's going to – the national uh, high school tournament in Indianapolis in June. Very nice. Well, congratulations for that. But I also saw some tweets that, you know, the Fiserv crowd was pretty much dead. You know, I'm sure there were some people there standing, making a lot of noise. But, you know, I'm one of the people that thinks, you know, if you want the fans to cheer, well, better give them something to cheer about. You know, I mean, what's there to cheer about when you're down 15? I get making noise can get them back into the game. But just the way the Bucks were playing, I – I mean, what, what do you want? I mean, if you go to a bad movie, are you going to clap at the end of it if it's bad? No, you're not going to. You're not going to. You're, you're not going to do that because you don't see the people actually. But like, since the people are like actually in the arena, and you know, there's they're obviously out there working hard and playing, you know, doing a lot. But that's just not how going to like an entertainment event works. <laughs> you, if if you're, they're not entertained in a positive way, they're not going to clap. It's literally like the most basic thing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So before before we wrap up here, how how confident were you going into the series before Game One, and how confident are you now? Now that what you saw after Game One. 
I came out and I said Bucks and Six. And I said that because I think that Kyrie Irving, Brad Stevens, and Al Horford can win them two games. I thought two those two games would be, you know, in Boston or, you know, one in maybe like game three or then maybe with a win game five or something like that. But I think that, you know, the stats all year have shown that this is a historic team. I mean, they've won 45 games this year by double digits. You don't just forget how to do that. I think the whole like playoff experience and playoff intensity thing kind of got to their heads in game one. I think they weren't ready for that. And is that on Budenholzer? Yes. Is that on the players? Yes. So going back, looking at the film, seeing what you did wrong and kind of refocusing is necessary. And I think that I, you know, I trust Budenholzer. I trust Giannis. I trust the rest of the guys on the team to do that. Um, So, I'm less confident, obviously, now, um, just because, obviously, when you get punched like that, like, that's tough. But I'm confident that we're going to respond in game two. Yeah, I agree. You know, the Bucks they've only lost consecutively once all season. So to do that, especially in a playoff series with such a short turnaround, is a lot tougher. And I'm going to read over a tweet from uh, at Dan Feldman, NBA. The last five teams to come in a game one and win by 15-plus in the last decade – all those teams that have ended up losing the series. We saw it last year with LeBron and the Cavaliers when they got waxed in game one against the Pacers. And we saw how that ended up. So who knows? I mean, obviously losing is not a bad thing, but I guess history does repeat itself. It does. All good I mean, that could go, that could be a good also, thing. A bad thing. Yeah, I was about to say. I mean, you can put any, you know, metaphor philosophical phrase and in front of it to make you feel better but yeah i i think that like i said i think the bucks are the better team uh you know just they're ran better i think the celtics have a lot good i think they have more talent but you know i don't think they know how to use it consistently and we saw that during the regular season that they'd have a really really good game and then they you know they had it they'll have a dud and I think, you know, if if those things, like you said, if the Bucks never lose two games in a row and the Celtics never have two games in a row, then game two should look good for Milwaukee, right? No, you're, I would hope so. But, you know, having Malcolm Brogdon back, you know, double fingers and toes crossed for game three, that's going to be huge when you do get him back. Just his ability to drive to the basket will be huge in this series. And hopefully it'll be sooner than later. Hopefully game three will be uh... – when they see him definitely will be on the minutes restriction and probably won't be in the starting lineup, but game three would be a good, good, uh, good time for him. So predictions, let's give me your prediction for game two. All right. I got the bucks winning one Oh two to 86. I got Giannis. You know, we talked about earlier Giannis is, he doesn't have two bad games in a row. So I think he's going to come out on Tuesday night. all guns mm-hmm. blazing. I think he's going to drop 30. I'd say one Oh seven to one Oh two Milwaukee. Giannis has a statement game, 39 points, 16 rebounds, six assists, uh, and the Bucks hit, you know, 16 or 17 threes. 
Well, <laughs> How about you that? Heard, you heard it here first on Bucking the Trend podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Andrew Goodman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andrew G underscore NBA. You can follow my man over here, Dylan Pickle, on Twitter at DP double underscore hoops. And we'll talk to you guys after game two. Thanks for listening. Bledsoe driving again. Eric Bledsoe with 13.